Welcome to Talk It Through. Talk It Through, Talk It Through, Talk It Through. The podcast that brings together myself, my sister, our friend Sarah, and other special guests to talk through topics, difficult issues, and personal experiences. We make mistakes and sometimes get the wrong idea on our journey to educate ourselves, as everyone does when they talk things through. This episode was recorded a few weeks ago. Apologies for the delay. My sister and I have both had a few life balls thrown at us, so it's taken us a while to edit, as well as some rude language, plenty of unsexy vagina talk. We also have an in-depth discussion on grief, including baby loss, miscarriage, and losing close relatives, which some people may find upsetting. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, or comment. We'd love to hear from you. And welcome back to our repeat one listeners. <laughs> and this week we have our friend Rachel. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, so before we start, I need to do a quick fact check. Fact check, fact check from last week. Um, so Rachel, you might not know this, but last week I did a my section was on how I don't wash with soap. I do wash in the shower with water, but I don't use soap. And I hardly ever use deodorant. And you know how it's been really hot recently? And mm-hmm. I was, like, running around after my toddler and I had the baby on me. And then I got home and I was like, oh, my God, I really smell. <laughs> so it was me making out on the podcast last week that I was, like, holier than now and didn't smell ever. And I was like, no, I actually reek today. So, fact check, you do smell if you're running around in heat with the children. Oh, I yeah. do smell. I said that I didn't sweat as well. And today I went on a run and I'd sweated on every single part of my body, my eyeballs. <laughs> so this week, my Into the Future topic, I want a little jingle like the Doctor Who music for Into the Future. So Into the Future topic is contraception and the new <laughs> and they're currently developing a contraceptive for women that's a ring that you put up it lasts for three weeks and it not only protects you against pregnancy but it also releases it is antiviral so it protects against the hpv and herpes virus oh no way yeah i thought that was really good what do you have to put the ring in yourself or do you go put it in the doctors well that's what i couldn't find out but i think it only lasts for three weeks so i think if it's a three-week thing it would be self-administered because otherwise you'd be like trying to get an appointment every three weeks that would be very practical yeah. <laughs> there's enough pressure on nhs at the moment i suppose and, and i was going to say the hpv viruses that sometimes then lead to um cervical cancer because i think there's yeah. a change now so they test for that as well Yes. yes. That is good if it works. That's really good. They yeah, get they vaccinated do. as well at school for that, don't they? Yes. So they do um, vaccinate girls for HPV. <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, questions about whether boys should be vaccinated as well. They do now, but they didn't use, like, when we were kids. We, like, no, we didn't. No, our age. Yeah. No, I know women have it. And, yeah, it's basically um, symptomless, isn't it? So boys... I think they probably should be vaccinated as well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because boys, obviously, um, it doesn't have the same effect. They don't get cervical cancer. Mm. <laughs> they have it. But it protects anyone that they have sex with. Mm. What's this thing called, then, this ring? This. It's called a Nuva, Nuva ring. 
Maneuvering. I think I've heard of that. Yeah. Is it so I think you can you can get one you can get one at the moment for just preventing pregnancy. I was like and they corona. need one. <laughs> well, there's lots of um, there's lots of other viral um, STIs though. Not, I mean, I think you probably can catch corona through sex, but <laughs> yeah, you can get it through sperm. Can you get it through sperm? Yeah, so you can catch corona, but um, HIV is uh, viral. So it would be good if they could add that into the mix. <laughs> I don't know, it might be too hard, but... How does it work, then? The ring? The ring so of it, The ring of fire. It's Well, <laughs> antivirals are very uh, complicated. The easiest way I can explain this is inhibiting it from attaching. Let's put it that way. Is okay. it like the mucous membrane? With no, it wouldn't be like the, the copper coil. <laughs> the copper coil. No, it wouldn't be like a mucous membrane. The mucus is to just stop the sperm from swimming through, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Form the mucus seal. What? But if that mucus worked with the virus, then the copper coil would be antiviral and it's not. So I don't think it works through mucus now. Because I really think they need contraception that is anti um protects against STIs rather yeah. than just the condom. I think that there's definitely somewhere that should be more focused on. But another funny thing I read was, because um, I was like, what about male contraceptive? How are they doing with that? Because yeah. it's been a long time. There's not that mm. much. And I was reading, um, there are more male contraceptives that's going to come out, but it wasn't very interesting. It was just like, yeah, they can get some. But in the 1950s, they developed a male contraceptive. And I was like, that was really effective. And they tested it on prisoners. It's called WIN, W-I-N, oh, 18449, I think. Something like that. I'll have to fact check what it's actually called. They developed it. They tested it on prisoners. And the pri- and it, were, it was really effective. The sperm counts were, like, really low damaged all the sperm but the guys were fine fully reversible and they were like oh this is brilliant and then they tested it on participants that weren't in jail and they had loads of problems they were like being sick they felt really ill and they were like oh what's going on and it's the it's the way that the drug interacts with alcohol it made people Uh... really ill so if they were if people were teetotal it would be really effective uh, male contraceptive but you know the novel one you know it's for three weeks yeah on the, on the third week does it come out with your period i don't know maybe that could be why it's only three weeks <laughs> but i would think not but maybe the blood like affects the science of the ingredients maybe maybe i don't think because it's not released yet i don't think I can't look it up and be like, oh, yeah. does it work while you're having a period? Because contraception is meant to protect you all the time, isn't it? You're not meant mm-hmm. to be able to conceive. But it might be like the pill where you have it in for three weeks and then out for one week and then have it back in for three weeks again. Do you get toxic shock syndrome if you leave it in for longer than three weeks? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it just stops working or yeah, works that's... less effectively. Yeah, that is a worry if you put in... You know, let's give the ladies some other toxic chemicals to shove up their vagina. Let's see what... Um, I think if it's in for three weeks and it's not going to give you TTS for three weeks, I, I don't think okay. it in for longer would 
would be a problem. But if yeah. it is self-administered, you're going to get someone that doesn't bother taking them out and just keeps putting them up there, won't you? <laughs> None of us have yet used cups because we don't want to put them up. We're not ready yet to put them no. up. So yeah, um, which we should, and but I I don't want to. A boat would, but I could never face it. I'm like, oh no. I just realised that your topic is about vaginas and um my topic's also about vaginas today so it moves on nicely doesn't it yeah i wonder what that's about <laughs> vaginas on the mind yeah some sort of womanly oh because it's virgo birthday season the maiden that... lady yeah she's oh, the, the feminine energy oh, okay it's like i don't remember seeing the horoscope for being a vagina but you You must have not seen that one we were going to talk about this the other day and I was actually going through it and I just cancelled I didn't want to do a podcast because I was so so before my period for at least a week sometimes more than a week I get so down and anxious and exhausted and overwhelmed and I'm just like, sometimes I have a day where I just don't leave the house. And I never really realised that it was just like PMS. It wasn't just generalised anxiety, but it's it's always in the run-up. It's only from using these, you know, the period apps that mm. you, you track. You've kind like, of worked out. Oh, this is the same time. <laughs> and so then I started looking up and I think... Most people have started to hear it now. It's called PMDD, premenstrual disorder, something. I don't even know how you say the word. Is it premenstrual depression disorder? It's dysphoric. Is the oh, I yeah, don't know how you say it. I googled it, and it's like it just says severe irritability, depression, anxiety for a week or two. But it's just like PMS, but heightened. Yeah, because some people just have PMS for like a day or just have like, oh, it's a cried at this advert of a puppy or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I think everyone's going to die. I don't want to leave the house. And then I'm like, oh, I'm fine now. I'm bleeding. I'm fine now. <laughs> and <laughs> there's hardly any research in it. And there's there's hardly any advice. Like I tried to look, um, you know, NHS just say, use it, exercise, be healthy, sleep. Do meditation. It just made me think, like, how crazy it is that women are expected to just get on with life as normal when it does actually completely change my personality for one week of form. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot of the year. That's a lot of my life that I'm not the same person. Like, I'm not as patient. I'm not as kind. And I think it's affected my relationships as well because I can remember dating and always being like, I won't get out, break up with you. And then, <laughs> then like, so I'd do that. And then if they didn't stick around, then I would just push them away, um, you know, the next month. And then if if they they weren't used to it, and I didn't necessarily know what it was. I just thought it was anxiety or whatever. And You can't explain something to somebody else that you can't, understand yourself yeah so I was just thinking that we we should be taught taught more about this and at school and and talk openly about being a crazy bitch and and it being okay uh because 
it's not until, yeah, being in my 30s that now I feel like I can talk about it and it happens to other people as well. You don't have to just cry in a dark room by yourself. Other people do that too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I follow someone on Instagram. Oh. Uh, I can't remember. She, she's like, uh, she's really funny and she, is on Instagram because she adopted her two children and she talks about that but she has PMDD as well Mm. and she said it affects her like two weeks out of the month so half Mm. the time she's and she's incredibly depressed like for two weeks she and it's exactly the same as what you described very depressed doesn't feel like she can leave the house um really low mood and it affects her in lots of different ways but how you know how can you succeed in your career or your family life or relationships or or anything like that if so much of your time is is affected by something and it it changes you like i just pop extra happy pills but it's not like they've been specifically designed for this or i've had yeah you know any scans or I don't know how they would find out a brain scan <laughs> I don't know do hormonal our, checks and things like do our current lifestyles affect it though so in the past everyone had a kind of set job and things and there was less anxiety whereas like modern day living modern day work environments are really anxiety inducing and then yeah. that going to affect, oops, sorry, how women are. Uh, no, because I think with PM, uh, PMDD, it's a hormonal in, imbalance. And I don't think it's about your environment. I think it is a hormonal environment that triggers the depression, the anxiety. So even if you have like a set job day to day, you'd still feel these like yeah. low moods I- and being this low way. It's to do with the hormonal releases each month. But I think I get it, but some months are not as bad as others. PMS, but then it gives you anxiety for that you underlying something else, and then the PMS triggers that or something. Like, so I I remember looking into it a little bit, and I had after I had was pregnant and lost the baby, I had um, progesterone, progesterone, or something that I had to take. Um, and and that improves your mood, so you can carry on cycling stuff like that, and it's sort of natural-ish. Uh, mine was a bit like um, why people don't talk about it, and I might have told Nancy this, but sometimes it's a bit like I feel a bit ashamed of how I feel a bit about out of control of my emotions, and I think this was just before my period. But it's also like at the height of the pandemic, as it. Morrison's and I was pushing Jacob and he was teething I hadn't had much sleep and then um, I walked past someone and they moved out of the way from me but I didn't notice and then they like shouted at me or said Aww. made some comment and they started walking off and I ended up like shouting back at them and then I like chased them out of the car park and I'm like, God, I'm so, like do you want really like non-confrontational but I was proper laid into them they were explaining to them what had happened and crying but I just felt like I had a moment where I was like, I could just, just carry on, like, just carry on, go into the shop, carry on. And Jacob slept throughout it, but I, like, literally had this push and, like, chase him out of the car park. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, who who was that? And I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm 
probably haven't told you Nancy, but I felt like so ashamed by it. And I'm sure it had something to do with my hormones and possibly yeah. lack of sleep. I'm like, I do sometimes feel when I, I don't know if it's that disorder, but definitely around the time of my period, I have to be really careful, especially now I'm back at work, just to sometimes something can provoke a massive reaction in me. And I'm like, oh, is that actually proportionate to what's happened? Or are you just feeling like, <laughs> just feeling a bit kind of mad about everything? Should I punch them in the face <laughs> yeah. or not? Should I chase them like a crazy person? I'm sure my boss told me that she threw a bike. Wow. You know, one of those fold-up bikes. It didn't hit them, but she got so angry with them that she threw a bike at, at, at someone when she was PMSing. So. I definitely get angry and cry sometimes. Like, oh. <laughs> I cry when I'm angry, so when I'm really angry, the tears are rolling. And then it, it always happens at work as well. It's really embarrassing. And I'm uh, writing this like really amazingly super passive aggressive email <laughs> tears rolling down my face like thank you so much for your reply <laughs> really thank you oh thank you for pointing out the one spelling mistake in the email <laughs> yeah no i definitely have those moments and i'm just like crying but it's like i'm actually really angry and i was like oh are you upset i'm like no i'm really angry <laughs> I'm always like as well right before a period I'm always like I'm grotesque yeah. I do it's disgusting I'm the elephant woman <laughs> but then the period comes you're like oh that was it every month my one of my best friends does that and she's like no this time I mean it though seriously I've put on about a stone every month and I'm like it's just your PMS in it's just before your period she's like no no but seriously this time my thighs are huge and then every time she said, oh, I'm so skinny after my period again. It's fine. It was just, it was just that. Every time. I'm like, can we just write this down? It's going to happen again in three weeks. <laughs> it does feel like you've lost a stone after your period, though. Because before your period, I'm just like, nothing fits. I can't do up any jeans. Everything's like super bloated. And you feel so like lethargic. And yeah. yeah. And then after your period, it's like you're a whole new person. It's like Ooh, I've been reborn, the phoenix through the through the flow, <laughs> phoenix through the flow, like reborn. And you do feel a stone lighter, and everything does up, and you've got so much energy. I'm always like, I always start like a fitness regime just after I'm yeah. period, and I'm like really into Pretty. it. For like two weeks, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm super fit, and then that third week comes round, and it's it's like, yeah. treat yourself, eat cookies, yeah. eat, eat all the ice cream, lie on the sofa, you have done so much in the previous two weeks, like, no energy, I feel like so tired. I don't want us to, I know we're talking about it now, but that's awful that you felt, you, you said, Rachel, that you felt ashamed. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you felt like that. Yeah, I felt like I'd lost control and I'm not normally like that. So it was, um, it, I don't know, that type of story is quite an extreme one. But um, I was like, oh, God, I feel really embarrassed. And, and it, so the only thing was that the, the couple that, that, that were there, they didn't recognise any, you know, I think if I saw that happen to someone, I'd be a bit like, oh, they're obviously under extreme stress. And yeah. Pandemic, but mm. yeah, I do feel like that sometimes with work, and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a bit crazy, 
and then when the period comes it's always like a bit of relief because you're like oh it sort of provides you with a bit of an explanation but you otherwise yeah. you're like what yeah. has happened to me what's what's going on it's yeah quite overwhelming the, the like the intensity of the emotions so mm. Like I can't like I don't have enough annual leave, but if I could I'd take like that week off every <laughs> Well maybe that's something that should actually happen though. Maybe we should be entitled to things like that. You know, maybe not a week, but maybe you whatever a couple of days that you, you can do it and or choose to make up hours elsewhere and well, even if home. they were just yeah. yeah more considerate and more flexible so like yeah. allowed you to work from home that week all things like okay that those weeks of the year you could come in later yeah so you're tired and you need to lie in or whatever yeah it's just like it's a get on with it stick a tampon up you you're fine um speaking of tampons um so the t- <laughs> <laughs> the tags i just saw on my notes there i started researching it and there is a petition that we i will find and we'll add it to sign to include these disposable period products you know your pants and your sanitary towels to include them in the lower tax rate because they're not luxury goods, and we shouldn't be paying for tampons and pads, never mind for these reusable, wonderful things to change the planet. It's such an easy change, but they're still getting taxed at 20%. That's ridiculous. Um, and mm. it's not going to change. It's The, the period pants are going to carry on getting changed, uh, taxed at 20%, whereas the tampons and pads, normal ones, will will drop to 5%. Who is making the rules? It's men again. <laughs> it's periods. They're a luxury. <laughs> Women love it every month. Tampons. Things. They love that time of the month. Those fancy knickers that they bleed into. Mm. Something they choose to do each month. No. I think there's definitely a stigma around periods <laughs> in general. Yeah. Still not is. just not just PMS and um, other things, but I just think there's such a stigma Flatulence? around. Yeah, going to be one of them. Well, periods—they just because it's all so close to your digestive system. Whenever you're on a period, it just makes that go haywire. It's like nothing shall move, and then it's like everything shall move. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about it, about the, the, when you trump so much, and they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, have you not noticed? Maybe it's just me, but... Oh, know, my God. Post-pregnancy post <laughs> farting is unreal. <laughs> I, I had to Google it. I thought, I thought There's something wrong with seriously me. wrong with me, and it was like, oh, no, yeah, after you've had it's a baby, fine. and then it's like, for a good few months afterwards, it's like, trump, like, you're the lead in an orchestra all the time <laughs> off you go you can't control it it's just like it's awful i keep blaming otis and mia all the time like oh it really smells someone's gonna poo <laughs> <laughs> and it's me <laughs> me it's awful awful there's so many awful things post-pregnancy that no one tells you about the hair loss 
the farts, the sweating. <laughs> like you've got to get rid of all this fluid and you just sweat all the time, sweating for weeks. Oh. Buckets. It's awful. No about the sweating. Yeah, yeah I remember get... feeling hot at when I was pregnant and stuff. Whereas before I never thought I was a sweaty person. I thought that was just old women. But it's that's probably why, because I've had babies and you can become a hot woman. Yeah, you get rid really of Is it hot. too hot in here? It's too hot. <laughs> no, it's no it's not. <laughs> Do you want to change away from vaginas then, Rachel? Okay. So there's two parts of vaginas. So my little section would be on grief and then we'll finish on another vagina. So that's okay. Is that a good structure to the, any good podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I feel a bit like I'm bumming everyone out with this. So I think when Nancy mentioned the podcast and she's like, come on. And I was like, oh, what can I talk about? And then... um. I was like, oh, grief, people don't, I feel like, I don't know if I'm, like, stereotyping here, but I'm half Irish, so in Ireland, they all talk about death and grief and stuff quite openly, and then, so, like, the last seven years, I've had quite two big losses, I met my late husband at university, and lost him quite suddenly, and less than two years after that, I lost my dad to brain cancer, and oh, yeah. um, I somehow thought, after that happened, that I should, but I think after Chris, my late husband, I think after he died, I thought I should be entitled to some kind of immunity from anything bad happening to me for probably the rest of my life. So I think when I yeah. had my dad's brain cancer, I was a bit like, wait, no, 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 that that can't be right because I've, you know, I've had this other big loss. And um, since then, like my life has moved on. I've, I've had a baby, um, and I what surprised me is that I thought having those losses somehow qualified me to understand grief better or to react better because I think when I experienced them I found some people's reactions to me a bit hurtful or I didn't understand it people would sometimes avoid you like they'd catch the grief um, yeah. and how to talk to you um, but in recent years I've had I've lost a couple of friends and, and a cousin um, and my cousin's wife I remember thinking oh god it's so awful what's happened to her and I was almost a bit lost for words and didn't know what to say um and and probably experiencing the same reactions that people had had to me and for whatever reason I just found that really surprised me because I thought if you've experienced it then somehow you you know you get a qualification in it and you can (laughs) you can can sort of ride it out or or whatever um but that's obviously not not the case and I think people feel quite I think it's probably out of a good place actually I feel like people probably Mm. quite reluctant to talk to you about it because they don't want you to get upset but Mm. it's okay to be upset and it's it's nice to be able to say loved ones names and not shy away from it but I think our culture probably maybe not our culture that's probably the wrong word but people tend to in my experience like not to talk about it just because they don't want you to see cry or to get upset and then yeah, yeah. definitely that to not yeah. do emotion at all like yeah. oh keep keep your feelings to yourself put keep your feelings put them lock them in the cupboard and put them away Sheila <laughs> Yeah. Like, I heard like chin up or you'll meet someone else or this will be and it's the last thing you want to hear at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Sarah say that she did you say you've lost a baby? That must have been I can't even yeah. that must have been just like awful doesn't even Yeah. No, well I mean obviously as well, losing your husband, I couldn't for a second think about that like you know your your partner of of all that time um 
it's yeah i know what you mean it's weird like some people have their own issues and can't talk about it because then they worry that it's going to open their own kind of worms and mm. some people are the other way and they're so empathetic that they <clears throat> they worry so much like i'm just i'm just thinking about my mother it's like for a while like we had therapy and 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 talk now but she she was so worried about saying the wrong thing and it it may it, for me personally i like to talk about it she's called cora i don't mention her every day but most days i'll end up talking about her and and that's my personal way of dealing with it but some people just don't get that like and my ex didn't get that and he he wanted to move on have a new baby that one's gone so next most people will really go with it if you say i want to talk about her or him but yeah that's something we're not taught taught about is it how to how to deal with our emotions like that i think it's getting better now than how it was Mm. and but you saying you're irish that's funny because i remember it's not funny (laughs) <laughs> at all wow. but my friend one of my best friend's dads um died and and they had him in the house for a bloody week or something yeah, they have a big in um, ireland they have a big wake after the funeral as well and i've never really personally got on board with it because i feel sad after the funeral but i guess it's their way of being around each other and trying to get each other to cope but yeah Every, I guess again, it's everyone's everyone's different in how. how yeah. Uh, but I think in my early days of grief, like I couldn't say I wanted to talk about it because I didn't. I think you're just trying to find your way, aren't you? It's hard. I think I personally find it hard to ask for help anyway. Uh, but yeah, I was fortunate in that I had understanding, like friends, friends and family, and they were patient. And I know what you mean about people not wanting to say the wrong thing, like tiptoeing around you as well. And that mm. Can be frustrating, but the the heart's in the right place, I guess. So it's, yeah. Did you ever get offered therapy or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, uh, I got it very early on. I've had it for years now, um, but privately because it was really hard on the um, NHS waiting list. I sort of felt right. very desperate very early on, so I I went to private counselling quite quite soon because I found talking about it ha- helped a lot. I've had a couple of counsellors. One was better than the other, but they were mm. there at the right time, I think, yeah. So you would recommend definitely to people listening to get a therapist or a counsellor? From my experience, <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say, like, give it a try if you're looking for... Nobody in particular, just anyone who might be listening, <laughs> would you say that might be helpful? A little so for our one listener, Dawn Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a listener too. Why are you? That's great. No, me and Bri lost our older sister when Bri was 14 and I was 18. We're quite reluctant to talk about it, really, aren't we? We don't really talk about it very much, do we, Bri? Apart from as a family. Yeah. It's and very difficult because, in a way, with what happened to my sister, I almost want to protect her and protect her memory. Mm. And by and the yeah. first thing when you say, 
oh, I've had a death, the first thing anyone asks is, how did they die? It's always mm. the first thing. And because my sister took her own life, they automatically judge her. And I, don't, I don't, never want her to be judged. It's not like mm. who she was. I think any way that she died, I think people judge her in the like, oh, she died young of cancer. Was she a smoker? Like people automatically start judging yeah. and making judgments even though they've passed away, and I'd never want her to... I don't well, want fuck memory, them anyway. Like, fuck fully. them. Fuck <laughs> 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 the judgy judgy sons. I know what Brian means. It's like, as soon as you have the conversation, you feel like, you yeah, you want to protect her, and you don't want her to be... Because it's such a violent death as well and you don't want her to be synonymous with this violent death because that's not mm-hmm. how you've known her yeah. life and it's probably like trying to protect yourself really because she's yeah. not alive to to be upset about not being protected <laughs> no i get that that's i get that though it's lovely that it's like it's the 18 years or the 14 years you know it's not that one moment it is yeah, her that's that's, that's, I can see what you're doing. You don't want that to define her, that or that to be anything that. But yeah. I think grief is definitely a bit of a, like a taboo subject mm. in in like maybe just in England. It is definitely a taboo subject. So when my sister died, my school didn't tell anyone, no one, that I'd suffered a loss. So I was just what? off. I was just off for a week or two. Came back and everyone just assumed I was ill or whatever and just got on when like no one no one in school knew and then I thought now in like modern days that would have changed but one of my it friends has. one of my friends lost her mum and she was off work and then when she came back they hadn't told anyone the grief was handled in a way not to make other people feel uncomfortable that's a shitty manager though or a shitty boss shitty hit like shitty Somebody shitty. Like he should have. Or is it every privacy? Would they have no, to? No, I think they. they oh, I, do they? At school, tell, they definitely do it now. Do you want me to tell people or not? Yeah, giving them an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying how would you like us to handle this? Because I suppose it's quite a big thing going back into school or going back into work after such a big loss. But yeah, mm. it's nice to be consulted on it and and choose how. Yeah, and I think I think in a way I think people should be told like mm. this person has suffered a a, a, a group, like a loss because then it gives the people opportunity to ask so they can say well okay how do I handle this what are the right things to say because the worst one of the worst things I think you can say is time's a healer (laughs) no it does not heal that kind of wound you just Mm -hmm. learn to live with the hole that it's created yeah the hole doesn't go away it doesn't get smaller it's always there with you time doesn't heal that you have the hole you just learn to live with it and people say crap like that all the time and I think if cliches but it's uh, the worst ones are about fate and it was a, it was sort of oh, meant God. to be yeah. Yeah. it makes mm. me angry that does it's ridiculous <laughs> I like that analogy I think you're saying like um, I've listened to a few grief workshops and stuff and they sort of said like the grief is always the same size and at one point it feels like it fills the entire room and it will always stay that size but like as time continues things happen in life and then the like the room which is your world grows 
and so it looks smaller but it's the same size but there's just other stuff that's going on in your life that's that's around it as well yeah yeah, yeah. But that's a good one. Yeah. I like to think of it as like grief is kind of like um, you have your working normal and then which is the middle. And then when you experience grief or any kind of huge stressor, you can either go above your working normal, which means you're hyper or below, which means you're hypo. And then it's getting back to your working normal. That's what takes time. But like the grief, yeah, the grief stays the same size. You still live with the whole. It just, it really annoys me. So I think if people are told, it, I think if people are told, it gives them the opportunity to say, okay, I don't know how to handle that situation. And they can give them just some set things to say that are nice. <laughs> and <laughs> all you have to say is, I'm really sorry. I'm here if you need to talk. That's all they have to say. That's like a basic one. <laughs> I remember the worst thing mm. anyone said to me after Carla died. Do you remember, Bright? I was seeing, well, seeing it, but dating this quite sleazy, gross guy, and I think I'm not discriminated. <laughs> and then I said, uh, I think I'd replied and said, oh, I'm sorry, my sister's died, and I've been AWOL. And he replied, just because your sister's died doesn't mean you can't have sex. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. What an utter cretin. No. Erasing from your life, I hope. Oh. It was gross. He was gross, though, anyway, in general. <laughs> I just remember that being like, you know, you I'm so not in the mood. <laughs> if you were in the mood it had killed it anyway even though you weren't in the mood it's killed he, it before <laughs> he must have said that as an attention thing give me attention I that would i can't imagine <laughs> anyone saying anything worse to you at the time because you went like the stages of grief you went straight into anger and stayed there for a very long time for him so sending I'm... that message i'm surprised he still has any bollocks left <laughs> i was yeah i was straight into anger straight into anger what i didn't realize about the stages of grief it was developed for people who were going to die and the stages they went through well is it seven stages? I'm remembering yeah, so shock, denial, acceptance. That's all I can remember. That's three. Yeah, so it's grieving yourself. You grie- That's what it was. Yeah, they're grieving. They're, oh, they're grieving their own life. Yeah, and it was based on looking at people who had terminal illness and the stages they went through. And so I don't think it totally applies to when you have a loss. Mm. I don't think those stages totally apply to you. So acceptance and things. I think sometimes. When you're you've lost someone, you some people never accept it. No, and other things, but yeah, grief. And when you have a grief in the family, it's very difficult because everyone suddenly goes into a completely different stage of grieving, mm. and you, you sometimes don't know how to support each other. Mm. One person's completely in denial, and everyone else is pissed off with them because they're like, "Well, why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you upset?" That was me. <laughs> Why are you functioning like a human? Like, what's wrong with you? Other people are immediately depressed. Some people are angry. Like, everyone goes into a completely different stage. And it's very yeah. difficult sometimes to support each other if you're all in 
different stages it can be you need like an impartial a counseling or therapy like yeah sort of, yeah <laughs> I probably went into anger quite quickly when my dad got diagnosed um I remember like my dad's last Christmas and he just wanted to make it perfect and I think he bought in these like Ugg slippers or something and they didn't fit and then I can't remember what I did I think I stood up and tried to like change the subject and he just tore into me and it was it, it all ended up with everyone in tears and I was like oh god I think because we were all trying so hard to make it yeah because it was the last Christmas we knew it, it was going to be the last Christmas and you put a lot of pressure on yourselves to be a certain way mm, yeah. it all worked out fine in the end we got over it but it was just I think you could just feel the tension building up and like Bryce said I guess everyone was coping with things in different ways and maybe the way someone else was coping with it annoyed you because it's not how you dealt with it I think my brother had got my brother's um teetotal and I part of my coping mechanism was pouring out like a massive glass of wine in the in the evening and he would be like there's a, a bucket outside if you want me to fill that up and I was like fill it up I'll happily (laughs) my way of coping with it was like like numbing it a bit in the evenings but um yeah it was probably unacceptable to my brother because he's like teetotal or something and yeah Mm. we were all under the same roof at the same time looking after my dad so it was emotions were running high oh yeah tricky do you talk to your brother about it now yeah yeah we do it's like father's day we always call each other in um, my dad's birthday but we t- sometimes if something reminds us of um of dad we'll send a message or you know and it's nice to sort of keep talking like that do you feel like you'll talk to jacob yeah my mum's <coughs> really sweet she's um got this box and she's put granddad on it and she's gonna and um, my dad was like a head teacher of a primary school and she knows all the things he likes so she's trying to put like little bits in there to teach him about um his granddad's oh, I love his granddad's box yeah so have my... you thought about making a, a like a book or a story no Ooh. but that's a good idea actually that's a nice because you can get them illustrated quite nicely can't you yeah, yeah. and they're all about um all about your dad and what he was like because I think that helps for children to like mm-hmm. read a story and and see the pictures and and you could even just put in the photographs and you could read the story and then they feel like they know them yeah that's a lovely idea oh. I got these um I've got one for Chris and one for my dad I can show you Actually, probably not going to the post podcast, but on the video, I've got like a <laughs> like a teddy bear that's made out of my dad's shirts and like a oh, British yeah. shirts, and they're quite nice to sort of have a cuddle with sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of that before. That's a lovely idea. Mm. I definitely, I think we all hoarded bits of my sister's clothes. <laughs> oh my god! They mean. Yeah, probably me and Bride should go to more counselling. We went to counselling at the start, and then we were just like, no, that's it, now we're done. <laughs> it just created a load of strange behaviours that we didn't wear. We had all of Carla's things, and we would be like, no, we're not getting rid of that, not getting rid of that ever. Carla wants to touch this. <laughs> not going, because we're getting rid of that. But that's up to you. Again, like, counsellors, you get good and bad ones, I think, and yeah. find one that works for you don't be afraid to, to try one out mm. no not for me but don't let yeah. put you off finding another one yeah I think it's like well, finding the right of, fit isn't it yeah. with counselling and counsellors you've got to find one that works for you and fits with you how old is Carla she was 30 she was 12 years older than me and like 
17 years older than Bri. But it is a bit of a weird age, 30 as well. No. Yeah. Chris was 30. Like, he died a different way, but um, he, he his is unusual as well because there had to be an inquest into it. He was run over um, on the way back from seeing some friends in London. Oh, but I'm so he went, sorry. He, he went under and then um, they presumed it was uh, by suicide, but it was actually um, an accident. He was leaning and at the same time he leaned out to see if it was coming, he got dragged under it once we CTV. So we had quite a long period where we didn't know what had happened and were speculating. And I was like, oh, God, we've only been married six months. Like, I, I didn't see any signs of anything. And But that's the case. I think even, you know, all losses are, are, are hard. But, um, yeah, he was 30 and you kind of think, like, life's just kind of... You feel yeah. like you're really mature and understand everything, but your life is also in many ways just beginning, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, with Carla, there were there were small signs, but we didn't really know them. She was acting a bit weird. No one expected it. No. no. Anyone ever expect death, really? And I guess, like, you can say signs, but then you're like, oh, were they really? I think when you've got hindsight or you find you can yeah. meaning to things, can't you? Because you feel like I think it's a natural thing. I mean, I. I had a lot of, a lot of my therapy was about like thinking, oh, what, what if I had said you shouldn't go meet your friends that night? And I was really yeah. around the time with work and was like, you know, quite short and snappy and thinking, oh, if I'd behaved differently, would it have then meant this wouldn't happen? I think it's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, I think you do that to yourself, don't you? You like to think yeah. you've got some form of control over stuff. But... Yeah. Yeah. I had. Um... Before I had my daughter, I had a miscarriage, and you definitely go through that. If I'd done this, if I'd yeah. done that, and you really like, especially when you've had a miscarriage, you really blame yourself. You mm-hmm. really blame yourself. Because um, I get that bloody soft tease. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you're going through, it and you're like, oh, maybe I walked too close to cars and breathed in too many fumes. Like, you literally rack your brain as to everything that you did wrong. Isn't it easily the It's not what you did wrong. Yeah, it's nothing you did wrong. Isn't it easily yeah. the swimmers that are malfunctioning in the early Yeah, now they well, now that they're looking into it, because with the recurrent miscarriages, um, for a long time they the research was all focused on the woman and it must be something wrong with the woman and they've only recently started looking at sperm and if that affects it and they found like quite a high correlation with it's a like faulty sperm that's actually caused the the miscarriage but miscarriages can happen for all sorts of reasons lots yeah. of different reasons but now that it's just taken them years and years and years to think oh actually let's have a look at sperm yeah. <laughs> and sperm and what's quality the, what's the support like did you get offered good support after after suffering a miscarriage or it's not the same as when I lost Carla, it was very different. There was a lot more support available, a lot more counselling. Mm. When you have a miscarriage, especially if it's quite an early one, it is more of a, here's your options, here's the leaflet, mm. off you go, mm. choose choose what you're going to do. I was quite, in a sense, lucky because I had a really good hospital and they were like, so they kind of talked to me through it a bit more and they had... Uh, a specialist early pregnancy unit centre so they could talk through my options and I spoke to a 
a lot of a lot more people there, which I was really lucky about because other people who have experienced early miscarriages, it's just very much been like a here's some set of pills or just go home and wait yeah. for things to happen. The emotional side of it, which is... yeah. And it's hard. Miscarriages are a difficult thing because you can have a miscarriage where you know it's happening and you can start bleeding and cramping and you know it's happening. But you can also have like a missed miscarriage. So you only know when you go to the scan. And that's horrible because you just and then every time I've been pregnant since I've been had so much anxiety before the scan because I'm just I'm just like waiting for there not to be a heartbeat. And it's really anxiety inducing. Um, And then when you have a miscarriage, like some people are just sent home and made to wait for your body to just start it. And that's awful, I think. I think with like mismatched carriages, you should. I think people should really like the first option should be like a. They should be offered a surgical removal. Really, I know people who have found out their babies died at forty weeks and <gasps> been sent home. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, being sent home for a day or whatever, and told to come back the next day when the the pills had started working. Yeah, when I was um, pregnant with my son this time, there was a lady who was overdue and she was just about to go into hospital to have her baby and um, they'd lost the baby and she had to go home and they didn't organise the birth or anything for a week. I had so messed up. Yeah, I had a friend who had a, um, a stillbirth, so she went full term and... I think she was obviously her and her partner were very distressed and she wanted to have a cesarean to yeah. to, to remove it. And she ended up giving birth naturally because the, I think they talked around into that because they said the scar would always be a reminder. Um, and I, I know when the anniversary is and I always talk about her, her baby using her, the baby's name and um, yeah. remember the anniversary. But um i don't think i think she might have been offered counseling but i think her and her her husband just sort of you know they've obviously had a rough time they've got a son now um but that doesn't make everything better their griefs obviously still as intense and um yeah. you know, 40 weeks is a long time you sort of make plans and um, you're in love you're in love at that point eh? yeah yeah so i knew on the on the one day and then the next so they give me um the pills to deliver her the next day but i think when you have a stillborn or um something's gone wrong or whatever they can give you so much more drugs so that you can't feel you know drugs that you couldn't have that would be dangerous to the baby so right. i think they'd always say it would be better if you can Mm-hmm. to deliver naturally um, because it is less painful because you're off your face. The baby used to do that because that's a weird, a weird, kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? You, you'll have a scar there, so then you'll remember. Because if you didn't have the scar there, you might you might forget. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, you'd still have, if you carried a baby fourth term, you're still going to have stretch, stretch marks. marks. You're still going to have yeah. signs of pregnancy. Mm. That's a lot of topics to talk about. 
Oh, oh yeah. Go finally, on. it's unrelated. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> about vaginas. Nothing that I mentioned earlier, but it's kind of related to the current topic. So, I was listening to um, Audible, Sarah Pascoe, I can't even remember which book it was, but she does some kind of vaguely serious um, books, and one of this one was about heterosexual male desire, or the topic that she was talking about was that. And she was saying that in caveman times, that heterosexual males liked young uh, women who hadn't have babies yet because it was a genetic advantage to go for those women. But then surely wouldn't it be a genetic advantage to go for people that have already had babies? And this is this is my question. So wouldn't it be better if you have stretch marks and stuff? Because she was saying that they don't, they didn't like stretch marks or whatever. And I was but, like, but in the olden days, wouldn't they have been like, she's got stretch marks, she's had a baby, I'm going to put another baby in there. <laughs> but maybe they thought you could only have five and they wanted ten or something, you know? <laughs> she's past herself, like, you know, what is it? She's She's reached capacity. <laughs> He's at full capacity now. If they used to have loads of kids, like, pop out 12 or whatever. Yeah, because your first child, your first pregnancy, is riskier than subsequent pregnancies. Really? Yeah, that's because when you have your first child, you go for a lot more checkups. And if that's all straightforward and you have the baby fine, your second child, you have a fewer checkups. Because oh. it's, it's less risky. Obviously, if you had a cesarean and so, oh. yeah. So in that sense, it's, it is, it would be a genetic advantage to go for someone who has had a child because yeah. you know they can give birth successfully and raise that child successfully as well if they have the child. Because raising, giving, creating one and giving birth to it is one thing. Caring for it afterwards is then another. Keeping it alive. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't stretch marks be a good thing then? In the olden days, they'd be like, oh, yeah, sad baby, great. But were they thinking about when they're old? Well, apparently men are visual creatures, so maybe they don't think, maybe they're not like, oh, yeah, that's a good, those, those stretch marks are a good sign. They just want the aesthetics, maybe. I don't know. Beautiful. Beautiful <laughs> the Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, interesting, no, though. I was just thinking on it, and I was just like, what is what would be a genetic advantage? So the right, so the I think the science in inverted commas in inverted commas <laughs> fact check fact check the science behind things like the menopause it makes older women are in inverted commas are generally better mothers because they've had all the children they've raised them successfully yeah. they make better mothers. However. You need a younger woman to have the baby because their genes are have been copied less and so are less corrupted, so more likely to have a <laughs> healthier child in that sense. So that's why women generally go through the menopause because you want them around to help care for grandchildren, but you don't want them having their own offspring because they're more likely to have 
their genes have been copied so many times, there's more likely to be like errors. In inverted comments. We all should have had kids when we were like 15. Mm. No, I men die really easily when they're old because we don't need them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you have outlived your purpose. Um, I don't know, but all I know is it's a genetic advantage to have the women around for a really long time to help look after grandkids and great grandkids, but you don't want them having offspring of their own. So that's, <laughs> that's the theory behind the menopause. So to reverse that, younger women have less copied genes, so therefore more likely to have a healthy offspring. But I wouldn't say that was anything to do with stretch marks or not. Young people can have stretch marks. You get stretch marks through growing. Men have stretch marks if if their muscles grow too big, too fast. So I wouldn't say stretch marks is like just, uh, oh, you only get them if you're pregnant. Anyone can get stretch marks at any age. Yeah. Well, noticed in her Audible book, she had said that it was a bad, she had cited stretch marks as a bad thing. And I was like, well, I didn't think they were that big a deal or a, not, a, not a genetic advantage because then you'd be like, oh, genetically they've had a baby, good to go. What was her point that they're not? That people were, that not, that heterosexual men are attracted to young paired women without stretch marks right. who haven't had a baby yet um, because that is genetically advantageous. Because they want a clean like, canvas. Maybe they think like youth and can carry their children or I don't know. I, I wouldn't say, like I know the thing about like the clean canvas and wanting an untouched woman, but I wouldn't say that was a genetic caveman thing i'd say that was come from cultural things at a later date so what would what would, what is genetic advantage than just one baby i don't think you can put it down to it like what is the genetic advantage <laughs> one baby. babies no babies two babies uh, like the younger you are the less copied your genes are but you don't want someone too young like 14 year olds they haven't matured enough yet. They're more to raise likely to the baby, but they could have no, the baby. They still. could have the baby, but because they haven't quite finished puberty, like their bones haven't stretched out, the birth canal isn't like prepared. They're more likely to die in labour. <laughs> so that's not. So a they could have it, the baby. The baby would be great, but the mother would die. <laughs> so that's well, you'd more, well, you'd kind of lose both of them, wouldn't you? You'd lose the mother and baby. So. Oh, oh, okay. And doesn't that rule out the whole thing that the genes are, are going to be the fathers as well? So, you know, yeah. whoever they like, but they're a part <laughs> of <it. laughs> They didn't need to know where the babies were from either, did they? Back in what? the day. Yeah, they, didn't, they say they didn't work out. They just thought it was magic, I thought. And then, um, yeah, do you think we were all polyamorous? Polyam. Back in the day as well. Oh yeah. Polyam. Well, haven't they done? Well, there's all sorts of theories on them, isn't it? But don't they think that twenty, like twenty-five percent, so a quarter of people are like cheaters. So seventy-five percent are, um, you know, 
monogamous, stay with this person, have their children. And then mm. 25% of men and women kind of hedge their bets. So the women are like, oh, hang on, I'm going to hedge my bets here in case one of them gets killed off or something. I've got two on the go. And men, 25% hedge their bets because they're like, I want to spread out my genes and make sure it gets gets out. So mm. that's like where it comes from. But they can't have everyone hedging their bets and, and bonking everyone because that wouldn't <laughs> isn't successful for raising children. So isn't it? That's what they think it is. Seventy five, twenty five, something like that. I suppose, and in sort of like a different in the environment that we're in now. If you're a woman, then you're sort of like locked away <laughs> a bit once you've had kids. So you get less opportunity to cheat. Whereas maybe yeah. if we are in a different environment, there would be, because they say it's always men that are the cheaters in heterosexual relationships, or usually the men. I don't think that's true at all. If it, if, but do you think if there, was, if there was equal opportunity to do it, it would be exactly the same percentages? Yeah, I think I think so. I think it would be the same percentages if they if men and we, women had the equal opportunity to cheat. I think the same amount of women and the or same would amount it of be, men will cheat. Or would it not even be cheating because people would be in mutual agreements because it would be a different sort of society and it would be polyamorous. <laughs> yeah, that would be fine if everyone was up for it. And I'm sure it will be like that in the future and I'm sure it has been like that in the past, but I am way too lazy to have one, never mind more than one. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be not up for that. (laughs) I won't even go on a date. No. (laughs) We'll start the new, well, we're not even starting, it's already here, isn't it? The single, the single society of... Single revolution. Yeah. (laughs) Scary. We'll be the revolution. In sixty years, forty years time, what what the world will look like? There'll be a lot of friends living together and homes in a different way because people people haven't got partners. Oh, wasn't there a story of um, some older ladies and they moved in together because they would have had to self isolate? So it was like friends oh. from school. And they were all in their like 80s and 70s and they moved in together Aww. to isolate. That That's sounds lovely. so fun. Like going back to uni or something. <laughs> that does sound fun. That does sound really good fun. Oh, it just reminds me of when um, my grandma moved into her care home and I was like, it's like going back to uni, grandma. You're in halls, halls of residence. It's <laughs> <laughs> not quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did have their little uh, their little tipple of the evening, didn't they? The little did sherry, they? Their little sherry's, sherry party. Well, that's a nice thought to end on, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We need all yeah. just to cry so we can stop. <laughs> no, no, he needs to sleep now. He needs to sleep. We're over that. We need a different ending now. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was really good to have you. And I am one of your listeners on Spotify, so I <laughs> Night, night, ladies. Lovely to chat. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.